Welcome to Virgin Territory, a podcast brought to you by SHIP. Each episode brings you new guests and new topics. We ask all the questions you are dying to know, from dating, sexual education and wellness, to kink, polyamory, and everything in between. Now please welcome your host, Vima Manfredo. Welcome everyone to another episode of Virgin Territory. Uh, today we're joined by Andre and Tara. Uh, so we have a special of two for one. It's great. Uh, mm-hmm. So welcome to our show. Uh, how are you two? Fantastic. We're doing awesome. So glad to have you have us here. So you. <laughs> you have us here. <laughs> You're already getting dirty. We haven't even started. <laughs> I know, right? Um, so let's start from the very beginning. Uh, why don't you, each of you, introduce yourselves? What do you do? What's your background and all that? Okay. Uh, let's go alphabetically. I'll, I'll go with me. My name is Andre Turka, <laughs> and I'm, I, I am a, a sex positive registered psychotherapist, and I am trying to change the world one person at a time and change it in a way that we might be able to normalize. Uh, everything in our sexual identity, our sexual expression, our sexual thoughts. And uh, I'm just happy to be living this life that is beyond my wildest dream. That's a little bit about me. That's a good one. Okay. And I'm Tara Lynn Franco. I am a relationship and awesomeness coach. Awesome because I feel like everybody needs a little bit of awesome in their life. And so part of the work I do is support individuals and couples find their awesome in their relationships and their lives. And so it's an amazing way of connecting with people and supporting them in, you know, living their true authentic selves. I think that's kind of a bit what both of, we, of us do. Yeah. So it's a great life for sure. Nice. Thank you. Yeah. I, I love the title awesomeness coach. I, I kind of want to start there and dig a little deep on that on what exactly do you do as an awesomeness coach to impart the awesomeness to others? Well, it's a good question. I think the first thing that I do when I work with people is find out the areas in which they are stuck in their lives and relationships. Like typically for me in my practice, a lot of people that come to me, both individuals and couples or more than two now, um, come to me because there's something in their relationships that they're struggling with. And it's in often these people are people who are polyamorous or um, involved in open relating in some sort. And so what we work to uncover is what beliefs they have that are, at least the first place we start is what beliefs they have that are stopping them from getting to this awesome relationship or life that they want. So it's breaking down some of those beliefs that they may or may not know they even have. And, you know, what I love is I think when people come to me is that they don't know it's their beliefs. They just think that something's not working in their relationship. And then once we start talking, we talk about limiting beliefs. And I think that's where it gets exciting for me in like figuring out what it is that's going on in people's minds and helping them work through those things so that they can have the things that they really want and desire in their life. Hence the awesome. Yeah, I, I, I love it. Um, I think more coaches need to look for that awesomeness um, in people because we all have a little bit. It's buried somewhere in here. And I'm pointing, even though there's no video, um, <laughs> I'm pointing at my heart. Um, but they're, they're, everybody has that potential of 
being awesome and, and having a great relationship with with their partners or with anyone, um, their families or or their friends and finding what makes it awesome. It's quite the journey. Yeah. And I think for me, part of the reason I came to this myself is because I had a coach that I worked with that helped me come into finding and moving towards the things that I dreamed about in my life and realizing that the things that I thought were limiting me were actually self-imposed limitations. And so once I realized that, then I could begin the process of actually working towards getting what I wanted, which has been an amazing journey over several years now. But yeah, it keeps getting better. <laughs> I love to hear that. Mm-hmm. Um, so now, Andrea, how does your work look like as well? Uh, Well, my work started out primarily uh, with my formal training. I was uh, going to school in New York, and I did my graduate and undergraduate work there. And then uh, later on, I ended up doing my internship at New York's Bellevue Hospital. And it was uh, working primarily with MICA patients, people who were mentally ill and chemically addicted. And uh, from there, eventually, I uh, went out to start my own private practice, and I was working with people who were, as we would say, uh, rather high functioning, but they would have a variety of uh, issues that they'd want to treat. And uh, it was going quite well. But I spoke to a colleague, friend of mine, and they had uh, told me something that I, I guess hadn't really uh, been too aware of myself. And that was that I was uh, very sexual and that they could see me as being a sex positive psychotherapist, that I might be able to help other people find uh, a good way of relating with their libidinal drive, right? So uh, I kind of started to accept that idea and the universe presented it to me as I became accepting of it. So I thought, well, if I feel this way, maybe there are other people who feel this way as well. The idea that I could uh, be accepting of my sexuality and use it to my advantage in a way that, uh, I mean, that I could have a way of being very, matter of fact about it, very accepting, very casual, very normalized about it. And I think a lot of that is shaped uh, from where I came from. My mother is very open and very, uh, I had always been, as a young boy, my growing up, I'd always been very uh, transparent about the way she was with her own sexuality, not in graphic details, but just the idea that we are sexual creatures as human beings and we are entitled to it, that it is a gift from uh, our gods, our creators, whoever you believe that put us here and that uh, her acceptance of it made it viable for me to be accepting of it so now my practice is such where I'm able to (laughs) I'm able to go about and help other people uh, well I guess like as Tara was saying realize their awesomeness right so what I like to do is I like to find uh, all aspects of ourselves whether it is our sexual identity or our sexual presentation or how we relate in relationships and that we might be able to normalize it because I think a lot of what happens is very often we might have a thought or a feeling and we are uh, embarrassed by it or shamed about it or whatever it is and I want to be able to help people go past that I want them to be able to see that what they are thinking and feeling can be normalized can be acceptable it falls someplace on the spectrum of human sexuality human identity that being said there are certain things that are illegal and quite taboo, or perhaps we should not engage in, but we might be able to find ways of uh, better coping with them, better dealing with them. To just simply uh, pass judgment and shame people about them, it sends it underground, it makes them 
afraid to be open about it, and then they're less likely to find healthier ways to uh, go about relating to it, right? So what we want to do is be able to have a platform where people are able to talk about everything. We want them to say everything. Communication is uh, one of the tenets that we live by. We are to say everything. But in doing so, we can hear ourselves. We hear our own crazy. And we find out <laughs> how we're able to uh, relate it to the world and how we're able to relate better to the world. So we can uh, find a way to accept ourselves. And when we do that, we can then find a way to improve the quality of our life. We can find ways that were maladaptive in the past, how we're able to relate better. So <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's great. That's wonderful. Um, I, I, there's so much that you said that resonated with me, especially the part of, of removing shame from your sexual being, regardless of what that sexual impulse that you have is and if it's something that can put you in physical danger or in mental danger then finding a coping or a managing way to navigate that but without that shame is so important because then you don't feel broken you feel i have this desire x y and c and this is the way that i manage that desire or that i accomplish that desire um And it's, it should be matter of factly, it should be, mm -hmm. I'm by, and it is what it is. I, I'm also five two. It should be as simple as that. <laughs> that, that That's precisely correct. That's an, a great example, by the way. Yes, why should we have any type of moral judgment attached to being five two or mm -hmm. being by or whatever it is, right? And very often we do make these attachments to it. And those attachments, unfortunately, very much make us go, underground with them and we feel embarrassed we feel ashamed mm -hmm. we feel uh, insecure in being able to announce who we are we can just right. say this is who i am mm -hmm. so uh, we want to try and be able to find a very uh, non-judgmental safe and incorporating platform for which people might be able to become themselves and really uh, allow for their own personal expression Yeah, that, that is so true. Um, so it looks like you two are a dynamic duo of <laughs> sex positive psychotherapists and an awesomeness coach and relationship coach, uh, but mostly awesome. Um, <laughs> so how did you two become this dynamic duo? Wow, that's a great question. Well, it's an interesting <laughs> story, right? Like we, Andre was already, are you, it's okay if I yeah. jump in? Okay. Um, Andre was already in private practice. I was I'm on my own journey of self-discovery and I think around the time when COVID hit. And so that's kind of really where it all started off. And, you know, really the thing that we wanted to do was create community and meet up with our friends who, um, we're now distant because we were staying in our homes and that sort of thing. So the first thing we did was not, you know, partner up to do what we're doing, what's now TNA, but we were, um, we started an online community and um, to host parties with friends so we could get together like sexy parties kind of thing. And then as that kind of progressed through, you know, the first part of COVID, we realized that we started meeting people and there was a need for something more. And then we also wanted to do something more, which is kind of how we ended up, you know, coming together and saying, how can we support the commu a community of open, polyamorous, queer, 
um, sex positive communities because, you know, we saw some of them out there and we wanted to do something a little different. So that's kind of we came together, I would say, for that reason, really. Right. So, yeah, what, what we did see out there and not to take away from them, they're fantastic, but they were primarily kind of like play sites or hookup sites. And that's great. You know, we're on those as well. But we also wanted to uh, use our desire to help other people to connect other people and create a platform that might have some sexy play to it but would also uh, be a platform for community that people would be connected beyond just the physical sexual part but that we might also uh, go into some part of it being informative there would mm-hmm. be resources to it to be educational it would be demystifying and naturalizing Mm -hmm. Because we kind of went through our own journey, like we, you know, we're polyamorous, we know we started our relationship pretty early on deciding to be polyamorous. And so we went through this entire journey, and had a lot of learning from that. And, you know, part of that is, you know, I mean, sure, we'll talk about all these things, communication and all those things. It was a very different type of relationship. And we also wanted to be able to share that experience with others that maybe were not having the same experience. So and then the other thing I think we saw in some of the other groups out there was a bit of judgment around what is the right way scare quotes to do open relating or polyamory, you know, and so we wanted to do something a little different that was more supportive and discussion based, I guess. That would be the answer. (laughs) No, that, that, that's wonderful. And, and I feel like there's not a lot of spaces for polyamory, polyamorous relationships or open relationships in general to learn. It's a lot of stumbling and trying to figure it out because most of the resources out there are for monogamous and close relationships. Mm-hmm. So maybe a, a close triad or a close quad um, can relate to those, but at some point it doesn't really match. It's trying to put a square peg in a round hole, if that's mm-hmm. the saying. Um, so having that space of education and, and non-judgment and here is resources that you can use to start building your relationship or start shifting your relationship if you already have one and you want to move to a more open relationship Mm -hmm. yeah so so I wanted to ask you what would be the advice you would give to someone that is looking to either open the relationship or start a relationship in an open way Oh, you want me to go for it? Well, I'm going to I'm going to say the thing that we say on almost every live that we do in our group, which is communicate, communicate, communicate. So it seems simple, but it's not always the easiest thing for us to do is, you know, talk openly about what it is that you want. Do some research. Think about like join groups like do some reading. There's lots of resources out there. See what it is that might be what you might be interested in. Like one of the things that we, you know, one of the first videos I think we did in our group was like, what are the five key questions to ask yourself, you know, in being polyamorous, you know, and we, and, you know, it's going through that process of like, Asking yourself, you know, why do I want this? You know, how have I been in other relationships? Can I be open to communicating honestly? You know, what's the other one? Um, <laughs> just get, test my memory. Um, 
am I, uh, am I willing to consider different solutions? Because part about being open in open relating is being open to the fact that you're now might be having consider different types of considerations that you might not have in um, a monogamous relationship, like having agreements together and that sort of thing. So, you know, doing, you know, doing your research, talking to your partners, if you have them or talk and talking to others um, who've been doing it for a while. That would be, did I miss anything? <laughs> sounds, sounds pretty comprehensive. <laughs> so how do you feel like about your work, uh, both in this Facebook group and in your practices? How do you feel it helps specifically people in open relationships, rather um, in contrast to other Psychi uh, psychotherapists or other coaches that focuses on uh, monogamous relationships? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I'm getting more and more people who are uh, seeking to work with me because of uh, my position in polyamory that or being in a lifestyle or open relating, whatever you might want to call it. And I think they want to have somebody who they feel knows their language, who can relate to them on a firsthand deal. Um, I still hear uh, horrific stories about um, conversion therapy, where, mm -hmm. you know, people are being uh, tried to be retooled in their uh, sexual identity as though they are uh, in some ways not right. And there's a lot of shaming and judgment, but it's because they just simply, the uh, therapist or whoever's conducting the conversion therapy just really doesn't get it. They just don't know. So uh, we are finding people who are wanting, or people who are wanting rather, to have a safe place to uh, speak to somebody who really gets them, a place that is non-judgmental, a place that is understanding and incorporating, and it seems to marry well. Mm -hmm. And I think we talk about a broad range of topics, and so we're not just talking about one type of um, open relating, and like the idea we're talking about earlier is is normalizing things you know so we've had lives where we talked about going to a sex club and like what to expect to ones where we talked about how to make your you know make sure your communication is not miscommunication so like a broad range of topics we talked about kink on one uh we we you know we've just this week we went over the different types of um open relating like uh consensual non-monogamy and you know polyamory, swinging, you know, open relationships. And I think- A whole bunch know, of stuff, how to, how to self-identify, right? So mm -hmm. uh, where we might look at ourselves on different spectrums, as far as what type of uh, emotional relationship we're wanting or not wanting, what kind of erotic relationship we're wanting, everything from, uh, you know, sexually transmitting uh, infections and diseases, testing, the idea of how we might uh, make that normalized, to talk mm -hmm. about that in conversations, about uh, being able to, let it be known what it is we're wanting and not wanting. Mm -hmm. we, we talk about a variety of subjects. Yeah. We want to talk about everything under the sun so that it becomes very easy and accessible to talk about whatever crosses our mind, whatever might be uh, of consideration. Mm -hmm. And we seem super serious now, but we do make <laughs> it fun. Like people love like coming to our lives because we do make it fun. We try, you know, it's information, but it's, it's, I don't know. I think, you know, <laughs> if it's too serious, then you're going to lose your audience, like you say, right? It's like, how do we make these things interesting and fun and informative? Mm -hmm. <laughs> what yeah. were you going to say? 
<laughs> well, I mean, it's, it's, it's absolutely, yeah, it is a lot of fun. Like, I think all of these ideas can be a lot of fun. Even uh, the idea, like, say, for example, the STI testing, right? Is it this big, scary thing that I'm avoiding talking about or bringing up? Or can I say it in a playful way that like, hey, you know, by the way, uh, I get tested almost like on a daily basis. Like, what about you? <laughs> Whatever it is, like being five foot two can be fun. Whatever it is that we have to say, can we do it in a way that will uh, not only make it accessible, but make it sort of engaging and playful and that we are accepting of it? Because really what we want to do is we want to take the boogeyman out of the equation, right? We want to just make it so that it's matter of fact, we're able to be who we are. We are human beings, all of us, no better, no worse. And let's just be loving and incorporating with each other. Yeah. And I, and I love the way that you say, like, remove the boogeyman, remove that, that big, scary notion, even if it's SDI testing and the results that come afterwards, where I, I forget what the statistics is, but of, of the vast majority of humans um, have a, a, a version of HSV. But there's so much stigma attached to it that no one will even dare to test for it because they're afraid of getting a positive result. I mean, a, a reactive result. Uh, so removing that shame and that scary monster from, hey, maybe if I go and test and I test positive or I test uh, reactive to HSV, then I'm part of. 70% of the population is statistic not correct, but you know what I mean. <laughs> Unfortunately, it's even higher than that, but you're absolutely right. If we are able to say, you know what, I have it, you have it, we have it, and they have it, so so what? We can talk about it without the shame and stigma, without it being underground, because when it's underground, it's easier to spread than when we are uh, informed about it, right? Mm-hmm, so right. I'll, I'll share with you something that happened to us uh, a few months ago, maybe a year ago now, time mm-hmm. goes very quickly. But one of my partners, their partner had uh, contracted something. And my, uh, they told my partner and my partner told me and I told her. And all of a sudden, uh, our whole, uh, say, community went into lockdown. Everybody said, okay, pencils down. Let's just take a breath. Everybody go get tested. Let's mm-hmm. see where this is. And it'll stop the spread. Whereas if we had not spoken about it so openly and honestly, being so transparent, it would have just passed around and passed around and passed around. So we did the responsible thing, but we came together as a community and there was no moral attachment of shame or embarrassment. It was just, look, at this happens. It's going to happen. We are in a universe where these things exist. Gonorrhea, mm-hmm. chlamydia, syphilis, all these things are there. What can we do to inform ourselves and take precautions to uh, make sure that its spread is as minimalized as possible? And we do that through open dialogue by being able to talk about it in a very mature, matter-of-fact kind of way. We normalize it and say, well, this is part of the uh, rules of the game, but we are going to do what we can to uh, really be informed, mature, responsible, playful adults. And there we go. We Mm -hmm. do, we go about it. And we had this wonderful sense of community where people all uh, did what was necessary. And then once we got the green light, it was like, well, party on, let's go. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, exactly. And and that does remind me um a conversation I had with a, my gynecologist, and this is going to be a weird one, um, but I've been married and in a monogamous relationship for, sorry, hon, about eight years. Um, <laughs> I always forget how many years it is. I'm terrible with numbers. Uh, it's but, been so glorious, you can't remember. <laughs> yeah, it's been forever. We've been together forever. We're 
we're soulmates. <laughs> um, but I still, every time I go for my annual checkup, I always ask for an STI panel. And when my doctor was reading my chart and she's like, oh, but you're married, you don't need it anymore. Mm -hmm. And I told her, well, one, this conversation was early on in my marriage. So I told her once I haven't been to get, we haven't been together that long and based on incubation periods, I should still be testing. And two, who's hurting by me going, giving blood, well, other than my arm, who else is hurting by me going, getting checked, making sure that everything is okay and moving on. It, I just take it as part of like the, if you do a CBC, you do the pap smear, you do an STI test, testing, I'm testing. <laughs> and you do everything and it's not scary anymore. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'd say, yeah. And I think, I mean, I, I ask for it every time I go in, in fact, are, you know, you can, you know, we're here in Canada and there's clinics you, you can go to um, anonymous, mostly anonymously. You can go to like your non-family doctor and to a sexual health clinic and get the full round of tests and tests, which is free. great for free. And that's awesome. But the thing that we did was, and the first thing when I got my new family doctor was I told her that I'm in a polyamorous relationship. I have multiple relationships with men and women. I engage in these kinds of activities. I would like to be tested regularly. And so she knows. And so, you know, I go in for my annual pap smear and I get tested then but if I go in because I hurt my ankle she's like do you want to test and I'm like sure you know like it's just it's just like it's it's become so matter of fact I love that about it it's just out there and it's offered and it's no big deal and you know if we don't have those incidents we make sure we get tested at least once every three months which may seem like a lot for some people but you know you want to keep yourselves and your partner safe and so that's important to us yeah. And I think the first time I might have asked my doctor for uh, STI testing, maybe I was less comfortable. But after the, you know, 15, 20th time, it's just matter of fact. And I think that is part of the normalization, right? So uh, when we're dating with somebody, you know, the first time you say, well, uh, when's the last time you've been tested? If you're not comfortable with it, it might kind of be a little bit uh, foreign, I guess. That's why you're not as comfortable. But the more you do it, the more comfortable you become. And it becomes very matter of fact. And then it becomes to the point where it's not that big a deal. You are able to just say it, but you are knowing that you are well-informed and doing kind of the right thing by that. But right. it really goes back, as an example, to being able to feel comfortable in announcing our own position. So for me to say that I'm five foot two, maybe I feel a little bit strange saying it in the beginning. But if I say it enough... I begin to say, well, five foot two is the perfect height and I feel good about it. And I can just say it in a way that I feel comfortable with it. Yeah, exactly. And it, it, it removes the scary, like you said at the beginning, it's, it's not scary anymore because it became part of the language and, and it goes back to communication, um, which brings me to a great segue of uh, jealousy is the other part that is very scary when you're talking about any type of open relationship because the thing that you hear the most is oh I can never do that I'm too jealous so how how to navigate jealousy in an open relationship I guess is my question and, and that's a great question and people often uh, say that yeah I love you know I love my partner so much I could never imagine uh, you know seeing them kiss somebody else or doing something else but you know what's interesting is that uh, in monogamy, 
we have this idea that we will never be with another person and that it will be the only thing. And I think we kind of set ourselves up in a sense for jealousy because we're saying, well, if they should ever look at anybody else, it goes against the tenets of it, right? That like, you should only have eyes for me forever and ever. And that's it. And maybe that works too, and that's wonderful. But I think uh, for many people who do open relating, there may be some jealousy, but they are, I think, already uh, of the idea that they are going to want to receive love from others and be willing to tolerate other people getting love. In fact, it might go beyond tolerance. There might be a question of conversion. They might feel actual pleasure in their partners receiving uh, attention from somebody else. Mm-hmm. But having said that, like people do experience jealousy and probably, you know, that's why we did our workshop with chip on right sizing jealousy, because it does come up in these relationships because, you know, your exposure, I'd say, is probably higher, potentially higher. And then depending on your experiences in your in your life will depend on how you react to that exposure and how secure you are in self. So it definitely comes up. Um, and, you know, I think you, like you said, like, it's great to, to have compersion or feeling total joy as the goal. There is often, it's, it's hard to get to that place, but there is things that people can do to work towards, um, right-sizing their jealousy, like we said. Now, can you expand a little bit more on right-sizing your jealousy? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Do you want to start? Do you want me to start? Okay. So, you know, there's a lot of things you can do, I think. But the first thing you want to do if you are experienced, so first of all, jealousy is an umbrella term. So it, it gives, it's a range of Emotions you might feel like if, if we're talking about in polyamory, when a partner or partners have a connection with somebody else, whether it's emotional or sexual. And so often this can be triggering for people, depending on where what your position is, how experienced you are, how much you how much work you've done towards your own sense of self. So the first thing we always say that people should do when they're experiencing jealousy is, is start with managing your immediate stress response. So like you like to say, putting out the fire. Right. So the first rule of uh, we're told when there is a fire at home is to remain calm. Oh, remain calm. Sorry. Right? <laughs> That's it. <laughs> Not put out the fire. Well, remain calm. We're, 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 we're going to put out the fire, right? We're going to put out the fire of jealousy. And by the way, that's not to say we'll never feel jealous, yes. but we want to put it in its proper place, mm-hmm. right? To really see, uh, kind of, again, demystify it and take the boogeyman out of it. So we want to remain calm. So we start with managing our immediate stress response. Right. So this, yeah. so this could mean, um, you know, um, calming yourself, deep breathing. Like, so, if, so say, for example, you've decided with your partner, you're, you know, start dating other people. And the first date out, one person goes out, the other person's at home, and they're instantly like overcome by this stress response, this huge triggering response. So the first thing is to then manage that in the immediacy. So deep breathing, journaling, being curious, you know, about what's going on, calming yourself, trying to do an activity like this is not going to solve your jealousy, but you want to come from a place of calm and, you know, remove the stress as much as possible. So that's kind of the step one. Right. Because, you know, in the, uh, when we first see the fire on the stove, our initial response very often is to just panic. And we think, oh my God, like the place is going to burn down. And, everything. and yet it might be, uh, very simple to actually put it up. 
Well, it's kind of the same thing with the jealousy. So we're going to be able to recognize it and then be able to, uh, as Tara says, kind of calm ourselves enough to be able to look at it a little bit more objectively. So very often when we are feeling jealous, we might want to catastrophize and say, oh my mm -hmm. God, like this is the end. And you know, uh, that person's so much better. We're going to compare despair, all these things. And that's just not true. So we want to kind of uh, get our feelings back in check because our feelings aren't necessarily the facts. Mm -hmm. right? So when we start to do that, it then leads uh, the opportunity to the second part, the introspection, where we start to look within, right? So are these feelings arising out of our own insecurities and self? We're going to talk uh, a little bit more, I don't know if we'll have time today, but we want to start looking at our uh, our attachment styles, right? Are, do we feel secure in relations or we have insecure attachments? Are we anxious about our attachment, right? And then uh, we want to look at what past experiences are influencing my feelings. Have we been in relationships before where we felt less secure, that we might have felt threatened by them? And again, that goes back to our attachment styles. Mm -hmm. right? So it's, it's about like this second part is about when you're looking within, it's just being really curious about what it is that you feel is driving and triggering these thoughts and feelings um, in you. Because thoughts, you know, I... I like to talk about the thought model. There's a circumstance, which, which is the fact. My partner went on a date and then I have a thought about it. So my thought is, like you said, I start catastrophizing that sort of thing, which causes a feeling. But you can change that thought if you understand where that where that's coming from. So it's about, am I creating or seeing meaning based on something that's said or not said? Am I drawing on limiting beliefs, past past hurts past feelings that's causing me to be this feeling to be triggered within me and we talked and you talked also about attachment right and those uh, limiting beliefs that we might have we will uh, the work that we do we will find ways of offering something else of replacing those so that we are able to bolster how we feel about ourselves we can increase our feeling of esteem because when we feel better about ourselves we have the idea that well maybe we're not so replaceable we're not so quick to be discarded, that we have a valid sense. And even if, let's say it does happen, and it can happen in monogamy or in uh, open relating, if we are uh, finding ourselves not being in that relationship, well, at least we will feel better about ourselves and know that the world does not end simply because the relationship and we are able to go on beyond that. But it's not to say that uh, the jealousy will be the culmination of our existence or our relationship. There are ways of working past that and regaining feelings of security, knowing that it is too survivable, especially when we see that it is not uh, beyond our control, that it is not the end all, that we are able to survive that. Mm -hmm. And then seeing how it's demonstrated in your life, like how is it negatively affecting you? Because when you understand that as well, that's another trigger that can help you um, break down these feelings and thoughts is how is it impacting me and do I want this to continue and then if you're in a relationship then working towards um, how you might communicate differently can I communicate how I feel about this what is you know sharing with partners if you have a partner and then the thing that you know often people will want to work towards in polyamory or consensual non-monogamy if they have if they are partners is setting up agreements and one of the the things that we work with clients on is setting up value values-based agreements rather
rather than rules. Because often the, the first thing that happens when people, when jealousy is triggered is someone, one or both, usually is one person if it's partnered, wants to immediately put rules in place that are very negative focused and they don't actually solve the problem. We think it's going to solve the problem, but it's not. Like I have to, like, I have to prove the people that you date or what's another one? Oh, don't fall in love. That's my mm. favorite one. You know what I mean? You know, you can't create rules like that. But the thing that we work with clients on is setting up agreements where it's like, what do we value in our relationship? If you have, if you're partnered, you know, what are the values of our relationship? So one of our values of our relationship is consideration. So what are the things if, if we value and then the couple, if it's coupled, will work on these values and then they come up with an agreement where what are the, if these are our values, whatever it is, what will we do and say to make sure this happens? So it's, it's positively focused rather than negative rules based because rules just seems like punishment and it already sets the tone for but also, they, I think that very often when we have these kind of uh, really uh, strong rules that are maybe not uh, realistic to obtain or to uh, adhere to, we're setting ourselves up for disappointment and mm -hmm. we're kind of setting ourselves up for failure because they, uh, they're put in place to kind of create this feeling of security, but you're looking outside to have that security. We want to teach people how to uh, import their own levels of self-security. Right? Mm -hmm. that we feel secure in our own relationship. Because when we feel secure in ourselves, in our relationships, then we're less likely to feel the insecurity of jealousy. Right. Because jealousy really is an indication of our feeling out of control. We're not able to control the situation. We feel insecure by it, and we call that jealousy. So if we can feel secure within our own position, then we can feel less affected by mm -hmm. those feelings of jealousy. Yeah, so that's where the last number five is the practice gratitude and develop your positive stacks. You know, like what are the positive things that, about you? What, how can you be grat grateful for the things you have and get that sense of self? So that's a big part of it too. Yeah, and that makes me think right away of uh, like self-esteem, right? Mm -hmm. So when we feel that we have high self-esteem, self-value, then we can feel that if you're out on a date with somebody else and kissing them, well, I know that I'm still of value, even if you find them to be of value as well. Mm -hmm. You know, it makes me also think of the uh, the tennis analogy, right? Mm. So what <laughs> we say of uh, polyamory, I don't know if you've heard of this, but open relating, uh, consensual non-monogamy, polyam, whatever you whatever term you want to use, it's as if uh, we're playing tennis. So Tara and I, for example, we go out and play tennis and uh, we play on Saturday and we have such a good time that I ask her to play tennis with me on Wednesday. And then Wednesday... We have another good time, and I said, we just play again Saturday, oh, yeah. and then we play on Wednesday and Saturday, and all of a sudden, before you know it, we're playing all the time. And then at one point, uh, I say to Tara, I say, Tara, I'm having such a good time playing tennis with you. I would prefer that you don't play tennis with anybody else. Well, that's the same kind of uh, relationship escalator model that we use, right? We start seeing each other, and before you know it, uh, we say, well, you know, let's not see anybody else. And in our open relating, we're resisting that. We're saying that, yes, I could be interested in playing tennis with you very often, but the fact that you would go play tennis with somebody else doesn't make me feel as though you're not going to want to play tennis with me. You might want to come back and still play tennis with me. So that feeling, that secure knowledge that I am still a valid tennis player is able to be transferred forward.
Did that make sense? That made sense. Did That's it? a great analogy. Yeah. Um, I, I was going to use the one of it's not pie, which is the one yeah. that I use a lot. Uh, like my love for my siblings is not pie. I don't love one and I run out of love for the other or for my parental units or anybody else in my life. Mm-hmm. But it's, it's the same analogy of, of tennis. I don't want to restrict the people that I love because I love them. Then I'm trying to possess them. And I mm-hmm. I shouldn't be trying to possess someone that I love. I should be trying to build a life where our lives are intertwining somehow so I can keep giving and receiving that love. Mm-hmm. Right. And that is, in fact, the sign of a strong ego, right? Being able to not have to control it not have to feel as though I need to claim these things, feeling that you are secure still in yourself and your ego to be able to uh, let other people make their choice, that they come to you by attraction as opposed to a mandate that says you are mine, I'm claiming you, my ego is wanting to possess you. Mm-hmm. Right. And and you touched on another very good point about jealousy being an insecurity and not necessarily an insecurity within yourself, but an insecurity of something that is lacking in your relationship. If you have a relationship that doesn't have a good foundation, then any type of commotion outside of that foundation will shake it up. And that's where you get that jealousy because you didn't have that strong foundation of having a good relationship with who you, whoever you're partnering with. That brings me back to bad relationships in the past uh, where you, I wasn't getting enough of whatever it was I needed at the time back in my early Um, (laughs) twenties. And I experienced a lot of jealousy in previous relationships because of that. I wasn't getting the love or the type of love that I needed. So when my previous partner will go off and do whatever the hell he was doing, um, <laughs> I will be very jealous because I, and I wish I would have known at the time that that was a, a bigger sign that our relationship was not meant to be because it didn't have that foundation. And I compare it to the relationship I have now with my partner and I can send him off to do whatever it is. And I don't feel that urgency of jealousness as I did before. It's not the same. And I I feel quite the opposite. He's accomplished something and I feel very happy for him because he's doing X, Y, or C. So it makes me happy that he's happy. Mm-hmm. And I don't get jealous of his time, of where, where he's spending time or who he's playing tennis with. Exactly. Yeah. Because your needs in the relationship are being are being met. And your and your needs within yourself are also being met. But you know, that makes me think back to, uh, you talked about the foundation of the relationship and Mm -hmm. uh, how, you know, some people, unfortunately, if they're not having a good relationship, they think, well, maybe we should open up our relationship (laughs) and that'll help it, right? But we ask that people uh, consider perhaps not doing that or not doing it right away, that if you don't have a good foundation in your relationship, then, Uh, Open relating is almost going to be like putting gasoline on that fire. It's really because so many feelings are going to come up. Uh, Of open relating, of polyam, we say that it's somewhat about sex, but it's really about communication. It's really about relationships. And it's really Mm -hmm. about being able to uh, speak and be in a way with yourself and with your partner or partners in a way that you are going to have to really start looking at things in a much different way. 
But if you don't have a good basis of communication, a good foundation, then it's just going to go awry mm -hmm. and uh, it's not going to work well. Mm -hmm. So, you know, try and resist using this idea as the cure-all that's going to fix it. Fix your uh, relationship, your communication patterns first. And then if you find that polyam is for you, then go for it. Mm -hmm. Or other things in your relationship. Sometimes when there is something happens and there's a breakdown of trust or something like that, people come and, you know, they want to continue, but it's like, okay, well, we need to deal with this thing first mm -hmm. before we can continue. Or they jumped in and stuff was triggered and they're like, well, we want to just keep going. We want to just get over it. It's like, well, let's go back to the thing that caused it in the first place. Like why, do, you know, yeah. foundation. Yeah. Right. Communication. Communication, <laughs> communication, communication. communication, communication. Well, I, I, think, I think that's why Tara and I, our relationship is so successful mm -hmm. is because we communicate well. And it's not to say that we haven't hit a few rough patches, right? We've had, mm -hmm. uh, you know, some issues as all other couples, but we really uh, are fortunate that we're both willing to speak openly and honestly. And we also participate in active listening. Right, mm -hmm. which we all know, active listening means that we are listening to understand, not you know? to respond. Right. <laughs> right. What happens is very often when we're speaking, uh, and I hear you, I'm listening sort of until all of a sudden I get I get the thought, well, this is what I'm going to say to uh, you know respond, and then at that point, very often I stop listening. So see if mm -hmm. you can suspend the temptation mm -hmm. for your response and hear the other person. Try and understand what it is they're really trying to communicate to you and then formulate your response back. Mm -hmm. I think, you know, I know this, the communication part to be true because I'd say if people ask me, like I was not open. I mean, I had some friends with benefits relationships prior to Andre, but other than that, um, you know, I've mostly been monogamous in my life, but we kind of came to this together. And I think the reason it worked is because it's the most, I always describe it as the most communicative relationship. I can't even say the word, but <laughs> relationship I've ever had in my life. And people who know me know this to be true and will say that, you know, I can see that you two are well matched because of this, like this works for you, but it might not have worked with somebody, somebody else if there was a different position. But, but, you know, it works for us, but it can work for you and you and for you sure. as well. All you have to do <laughs> is find a way to get comfortable in saying everything. Find a way to communicate your thoughts and feelings. Not to say everything in a callous way, but say everything that is true to your heart, your own feelings. Mm -hmm. And we often encourage people, again, uh, some of the easy stuff that, you know, we, I guess, come to take for granted, but we speak from I and me. Mm -hmm. So when we we're mm -hmm. speaking, as opposed to saying that like, you do this and you do that, which sounds accusatory, makes the other person become defensive. And when they're defensive, very often they become aggressive. Well, we speak from I or me. I feel that when this happened, it made me feel this way. Mm -hmm. And that way, I'm entitled to my own feelings. I can be that way, whether it's true or not, but I'm owning that. And I'm not necessarily uh, accusing you of doing something. Mm -hmm. We can right. address it. So when that happened, it made me feel this way. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And find the best method of communication that works for your your group, your your partnership. Um, I always find it funny that the best way that my partner and I communicate when it's a problem is actually written more than huh? spoken. Mm -hmm. It's it's partly because English is not my first language. So I get mm -hmm. me processing my own thoughts takes longer than usual um 
And if it's something that is very difficult, I can get lost in my own brain trying to come up with the right words of what I need to say. And my partner can get very frustrated that I'm not saying, I'm not communicating what I'm feeling. And it's because I'm still trying to find the, the correct words. But having it written, we have a, a, a personal chat that we both talk to uh, each other on. I can take my time and write what I'm thinking. And he has no option but to wait until I write it and I finish my thought before he can interject and vice versa, because I tend to interrupt people a lot. Um, that's part of how I was brought up. Um, and it happens quite often. But in, in the written part, I can't do that because I don't have anything to interrupt. There's no message yet. Oh, that's so interesting. Yeah, it's uh, it's different. It's it does have its challenges because there's no emotion behind the written world, mm-hmm. word, but we try to interject the feeling of I am feeling sad, angry, upset, hungry, and this is why. And then I can write everything down and I preface it with this is how I'm feeling. So you can read everything and then respond. And if if there is something that, okay, we need to talk in person, then we can take the communication offline and talk in person. Fantastic. But the point is you are having this dialogue. You're having this communication, right? Mm -hmm. So you're saying what's on your mind. Fantastic. Exactly. Um, so sad, uh, we could talk for hours, uh, <laughs> but sadly, we're coming off on the top of the hour um, or the bottom of the hour, the end of the time. <laughs> um, so before we wrap up to our section that I didn't tell you about before, because it's a fun section, is uh, I just I want to give you a little bit of time to promote any work that you have coming up or just talk a little bit about where to find you on Facebook. Fantastic. Amazing. Um, So on Facebook, our group is called Let's Talk Polyamory. Um, I'm guessing you'll probably put it in the show notes, but it's facebook.com forward slash group slash let's talk poly. So the, the, the name is still, we used to call, be called let's talk poly. We just changed the name recently. Um, so that's where we have our awesome weekly live. where We talk about topics around relationships, sex, communication, polyamory, and more. Uh, so that's probably the best way to get in touch with us. We do have an Instagram account, which is at Tara and Andre. Um, Exciting stuff. We're really excited about heading into 2022. Um, We are hoping to plan our first um, in-person workshop and events. So, and our erotic, exotic travel destination getaways. Yes. Oh wow. (laughs) Oh yeah. So we're we're uh, picking up a couple of really exotic, beautiful locations where we will invite people to come and uh, not only will it just be for play and pleasure it'll also be uh, therapeutic in a sense it'll be informative and it'll be well kind of like what we do mm-hmm. we'll be exploring mm-hmm. our sexual sexual identities our sexuality all things sexual and it'll be uh, beautiful fun and erotic exactly and then we're going to start with some probably earlier in the year some smaller workshops and events maybe right here in montreal where we are right now in toronto and 
yeah, we're going to keep doing our individual practices, supporting individuals and couples and, you know, working. Uh, we have a group program, multiple loves methods. So if people are in, you know, open relationships and they're needing some support through that, then that's for you. So lots of excitement, you know. Lots of fun things coming in 2022. <laughs> yeah. Well, even before the end of the year, like I know, you know, the holidays is always an interesting time for people. Family stuff can get intense. And if you're in a relationship or you're having trouble in your relationships right now, it's never, you know, you don't need to wait the 32 days or whatever it is till the ball drops on New Year's. You can start now. Like I talked to people today and we're starting right away because they want to end their year great and, you know, bring joy to the holiday season yeah. rather than conflict. So, sure. you know, people can reach out to us through the group or through our Instagram. And awesome. Yeah. That, that sounds like, like a very full agenda, but full of good stuff. So I can't wait to see uh, what comes out of Tara and Andre for 2022. <laughs> um, so before we go, we have our fun and semi-secret section of the hot seat. Um, no. <laughs> Yes, I. it has nothing to do with our topic, which is the best part. Um, okay, good. Just to end on a good note, like you just mentioned, I will ask you a seri series of questions. And since there's a two of you, I'll ask you each one a different question. Okay. And um, there will be fun ones. So I'll start with Tara. Pepsi, okay. uh, Pepsi or Coke? Neither. <laughs> Love it. <laughs> Or Too anything much sugar, to Coke though. <laughs> if I had to choose, I'd pick Coke. Yeah, with rum. See, I, I was I was gonna pick um, bubbly water because I've been obsessed with it. <laughs> All right, uh, for Andre, favorite ice cream flavor? Oh, um, like polyamory. Please don't make me choose just one. <laughs> I, 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 love many. I love many. So, so Napolitan for you. <laughs> And then some, yes, Napoleon. Yeah. Sure. I go three way all the way. <laughs> all right. Um, next question for Tara. Who is the best Marvel character? Marvel. Hmm. Hmm. Oh. Um, oh. Uh, Thor. <laughs> I think that's the first Thor I've gotten. <laughs> I don't know. He's on, on I don't know. He's got a hammer and he's hot. I don't know. That's, that's the first thing that came to my mind. Yeah, I, I did love, um, and this is not a sponsored post, but I did love uh, Thor Ragnarok, the movie. Mm -hmm. That was that was wonderful. It's one of my favorite Marvel movies. Mm -hmm. All right. Um, so for, <laughs> and, for Andre in Wrong Answer Only, why is there fuss on a tennis ball? Uh, In what? The wrong answer. Wrong, wrong answer. answer. <laughs> Why is there fuss on a tennis ball? So that we would have this question. <laughs> <laughs> nice. <laughs> so you can use it as a sex toy? I don't know. I like that. I like that one. <laughs> yeah. All right. And the last question. I'm sorry, Tara. Um, what sound does a fox make? Oh, <laughs> that does the fox say. Um, oh my God, what does the fox say? Oh, I can't remember the actual sound. <laughs> I'm thinking, are you thinking the song? 
oh, you can make what, whatever sound you want, but what goes like <laughs> rar. <laughs> That's a donkey. <laughs> I'm gonna go. Oh, no, the, the fox box. says, "Hey, baby, <laughs> want to come back to my lair?" Or is that what that, that's what they say to the fox? No, the fox might say that too. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I thought I was thinking of also the, the song, but yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that, that question came from the song, but if you listen to the, our previous episodes, they, the answers have been hilarious. Um, we'll have to go back and listen. Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, Tara and Andrea, thank you so much for joining us. This was wonderful. Um, I know there's a lot more to explore on this topic, so I would love to have you back at some point in 2022. Um, awesome. Just so we can go through the rest of the questions. Let's do um, it. And this it, this has been great. So thank you so much for, ha- for being here with us, and I hope you have a good day. Thank and you. Thank you for having us. You too. That was awesome. You've been listening to Virgin Territory, a podcast by SHIP, a nonprofit organization dedicated to providing culturally inclusive, medically accurate, and pleasure-guided sexuality education, therapy, and professional training to adults. You can visit us online at weknowship.org.